Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, uh, our weekly program in which I invite guests to join me to talk about favorite verses, and particularly verses that have inspired them in their walk following Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of voices out there, especially today, maybe more voices than ever, amplified by modern communication, internet, television, radio, books, 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 books. Lots of voices trying to get us to follow someone other than our Lord Jesus, to follow other authorities other than the church, to trust in, you name it, fill in the blank, all kinds of leaders that can be very charismatic and believable, can look you in the eye and seem like they're telling you exactly what is true. But in the end, who was behind them? What is the foundation upon which they build their lives? And especially, let's say, when they'll use Scripture to defend something that they want you to believe, but really they might be twisting Scripture a little bit because the idea that Scripture, you know, it's, Apostle Peter warned us in his second letter that, uh, that no prophecy is open to private interpretation. And basically the context was not just prophecy, but you can see that any aspect of Scripture can dangerously be pulled off track and to say whatever we want it to say. And so that's why we need the trustworthy teacher through which we receive the canon of the Bible in the first place, and that is the church. And so in this context of our passage, we make sure that we interpret Scripture in the light of the church, the Catholic church that Christ gave us. Deep in Scripture has a website, just to remind you, deepinscripture.com, where you can find out all kinds of information about the Coming Home Network International that sponsors this program, as well as all the archived programs for Deep in Scripture. There are plenty of links. You can get linked also to the Journey Home program, the television program that EWTN has invited me to host for them on Monday evenings. Tonight, for our program, I've invited as a guest Father John McCluskey, uh, he is the um, uh, research fellow of the Faith and Research Institute in Washington, D.C. He uh, is, um, he wasn't always a priest. He was a, uh, after he got his degree in economics from Columbia University, he worked professionally on Wall Street for six years. And then as he was discerning the call, he studied in Rome and Spain where he received his doctorate in theology with a specialty in church history. He was ordained in Spain in 1981. Uh, he spent much of his uh, pastoral work counseling university students and fellow priests, offering spiritual direction and preaching retreats. He has been very involved uh, with bringing many outside the church into the church. He's uh, been very influential in bringing into the Catholic Church Dr. Bernard Nathanson, Lawrence Kudlow, Robert Novak, uh, Judge Robert Bork and Senator Sam Brownbeck, and um, uh, he's a, a prolific writer. He's been on radio, television. He's a co-author with Russell Shaw of a book called Good News, Bad News, Evangelization, Conversion, and the Crisis of Faith. Um, and he's served as an advisor for a number of organizations, including our own, the Coming Home Network International. Now, uh, each week I invite the guests to choose a verse or verses that or an inspiration to them, and in a moment I'll tell you his, and then I'll read it. But I'll remind you, we'd love to have you call the program with a question. If you'd like to do so, 800-664-5110, or 
or 740-450-1175. If you call either phone number with your question, the staff will write down your question, and then uh, Father McClusty and I will uh, discuss the question on air. You can also send us an email at marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at deepinscripture.com. And as I've mentioned, if you want to watch this program live, you can do so by going to deepinscripture.com and clicking on the link. And I will say, uh, also on the website is a link to the Faith and Reason Institute, for which Father McCluskey is a res- uh, uh, a scholar, uh, a research fellow, excuse me, and that tells all about the work of the Institute, uh, especially some of the writings of Robert Royal, and about what they do, and also about supporting the Institute and, and the work that they do. All right, let me read you the text that Father McCluskey has chosen for this evening. It's Matthew 19, 23 through 30. And as I read this, you'll hear that there are a lot of great verses in this text. Some of them are not easy. And that's why uh, we want to make sure that as we understand this text, especially in the areas that apply to our lives that want to require us to make difficult decisions that we're listening to the guidance of the church to make sure we're hearing correctly. So let me read Matthew 19, 23 through 30. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Lo, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man shall sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many that are first will be last and the last first. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. WTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our seventh annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year we will begin on the rock looking to understand the question of authority, the pillar and bulwark of truth. Join us the weekend of October 23rd as we bring together another exciting list of speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. And before I ask Father McCluskey to join us, I just want to announce one other thing. Tomorrow on Catholic Answers Live with Patrick Coffin, 
a two-hour Q&A open forum with author of the book Catholicism for Dummies, Father John Trujillo, and apologist Jim Aiken. And that airs at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Hello, Father McCluskey. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Marcus. It's good to uh, be with you and with your listeners. You know, I just saw something. I don't know if I should mention this on air, but we just announced our Deep in History conference that's coming up. And I'm just hitting myself in the head because sometimes we have a hard time remembering who to invite. But with your history background, of course, we need to get you to join us at one of those conferences. Well, I've done one of the conferences some years back. Oh, that's right, on Newman. That's right. Exactly. Mm Got to have you back because you were uh, greatly appreciated and... uh, and uh, ever since you moved from D.C. To, to Chicago, I just haven't seen you as much. Well, it's, uh, we're out here in flyover, flyover country, but um, <laughs> there's souls everywhere, and uh, it's, it's, it's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the program. Thank you for taking the time uh, to join us. Uh, now, I asked you to choose a passage, and you chose Matthew 19, 23 through 30, and there's a lot in there, but maybe first in general, why do you like this passage? I like it for uh, several reasons. Uh, one, uh, first of all, and I'm sure, I don't know if you know this or your, your listeners would, but this uh, is one of the two passages that John Paul the Great used during his pontificate more than any other. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And so uh, people can you know, run uh-huh. to their collection of papal encyclicals or papal addresses and uh, look up, uh, you know, by uh, in terms of the actual quotation, but he uses very much so in his letter to youth, is, 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 it would be quite obvious, and also in his encyclical um, on um, faith and reason and on several other places. So he was very taken by this passage, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so taken with it. Mm-hmm. Is uh, To me, the first question that comes to my mind is what, what was it particularly about this passage? I mean, John Paul was really a biblical scholar. I mean, uh, every encyclical was like a Bible study, yes. particularly his encyclical on suffering. It, yes. it was just a Bible study of Colossians 1.24. But, uh, but of all those passages, which we know he loved, why this one? One reason, I would say, and just starting off at the beginning, sure. is that um, this certain man, sometimes referred to as a young ruler, sometimes as... Uh, uh, you know, a, a member of the aristocracy uh, says, good master, what good work shall I do to have eternal life? And if we think about it, as all of us do, that's the only question that's worth asking in this life. <laughs> that is, once you have come to the realization, usually as a child at a certain age, uh, when you have that child in your class who dies of drowning, or you have your grandfather passes away, or an uncle dies in a car accident, whatever it might be, all of a sudden you ask that question of your mother or father, uh, what's, what's death? Uh, mm-hmm. Where did they go? And once you are aware of that, the really the next question as you grow, hopefully maturity and information is, well then, if there is heaven, which is one of the ways we refer to eternal life, what do I have to do to get there? Or what do I have to believe to get there? So I think this is the question that any rational human being who's aware uh, that death is inevitable for us, we don't have to go into reasons for that, here. So that's, I think that's the, um, so attractive. Yeah. And also the fact the person who's asking it um, is a person who's not just one of the 
apostles uh, who came generally, although it's disputable from uh, backgrounds that were at least relatively uh, uh, humble, although perhaps Matthew came from a little bit better family. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But this was a man who was perhaps a member of the Sanhedrin or a son of the family. Perhaps he was a scribe. Perhaps he's a Pharisee. In the same passage that's recounted elsewhere in another gospel, it says that Jesus uh, conceived a love for him. Mm-hmm. So he, this is a man that our Lord was looking at and saying, this man has it. <laughs> he's asking the right questions. And then he goes on to, um, you know, it's not simply what must I do to gain eternal life, but because then our Lord gives him the answer. And first of all, he, he checks on him. He tests him a little bit. You know, why, uh, why do you ask me about uh, what is good? Uh, what, 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 is, uh, what good work is it? Why do you ask me about good? Only, there's only one who is good, and he is God. And it's, why, my interpretation certainly is not mine alone. I'm sure it's things I've read. Is that he was testing him to see, did he realize that he was speaking perhaps he couldn't conceive of the God man as of yet, but that at least to a prophet, perhaps to the Messiah, but someone with God-like powers in a minimum. And so why are you asking me this question? Don't you have that question already in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the old covenant, the Torah and the rules and the regulations that went up to make uh, the, uh, the old covenant. And that is where it really gets interesting, mm-hmm. at least to me. You know, uh, let me let me just Go ask ahead. something because I want to make sure. Um, I maybe for the audience when I introduced the program, I only read verses twenty-three through thirty. Right. And I wanted to make sure that you're wanting to focus on the whole section, right? Yes, I am. Okay, I want to be sure because uh, uh, when we got the internet uh, set up, we didn't have that. And I apologize to the audience, which is fine. And what I want to interject here, and just your thoughts on this, um, this passage, I, I must say, was. Um, uh, very important to me back when, um, and I would, though I was brought up in, in the Lutheran church, I did not have a deep faith. I could say that I, on the outside, was as faithful a Lutheran as, you, as any other young person because I did all the Lutheran things, and I, I knew Lutheran belief, and I, I followed them. When I went away to college, I very quickly set it all aside. In college, I had an awakening, uh, called it then a born-again experience, wherever you want to, you know, to me, I look back and now see that it was my, my baptism, uh, the graces of my baptism coming alive again. Um, uh, but the, the point was, this passage then was one of the passages that most inspired me to go to seminary because I was sensing God's deeper call to serve him. But when I look back at this, it also reflects to me, and, and, and like your thought on this, it, that um, it, it, it sometimes is a problem, particularly for Catholics, who can live their life doing everything that's expected of them as a Catholic. You know, you go to church, you've gone through all the sacraments, you say the beads, you can do a lot of things. So on the outside, you can look good as a Catholic without an internal awakening, awareness, a conviction that you can feel like, wait, I've done all these things, but something's not there. 
And I wonder if that's kind of maybe a modern application to what's happening with this rich young man. I think you're right on, right on the money there, Marcus. It's a, it's a question, is, and this is what I'm trying to bring out here, is yes. that every person, every Catholic included, has to, has to have a conversion. Okay, yes. That's, that's the key here. Okay. And what the first thing, he, what, what our Lord does, he answers him by saying, keep the commandments if you mm-hmm. want to enter into life. And that, to some extent, is what you were just referring to about people. That is, many people live on that level. If I keep the commandments, I will have eternal life, and that's enough. However, and this is, I think, maybe the ecumenical moment that I want to bring in here. Yeah. What, by our Lord saying, first of all, keep the commandments, he's also giving us a clue to how it is possible for people who are not Catholic or people who are not even Christian, perhaps, to be saved. That is, in God's providence and in his mercy, to a person to whom the gospel has not been preached, then if you live the Ten Commandments, which are all revealed, of course, by God through Moses, but they are also all principles of the natural law, mm-hmm. then that could be a way that an, an opening for those people who have not rejected the faith or have not had it preached to them in order to be saved. So I think this is an important ecumenical moment. And, you know, I've um, many of the hyper-ecumenists today, which would uh, discourage almost to the extent of discouraging evangelization and missions because they would say that that God will have mercy on them. Um, they had, And what going on what you have said and what I think is in this passage is that we recognize that God has planted this seed in the conscience of everyone that draws everyone to God. The compendium says it very clearly when it talks about faith. The compendium, the catechism, and the catechism itself talk very much about that God has created us, that religion is a part of our being and our desire for God, it's all there, a part of our conscience. And to me, that's the reason, for example, the, the Jesuit missionaries went to Canada to take the faith to the Huron Indians who would have been the most invincibly ignorant group of folk that ever lived in the world. No one would have ever touched them for Jesus. But they went recognizing that, that they will stand before God for how they've lived according to their consciences. Yes. And we are called to go and inform those consciences for their benefit. Yes, I think that's the case, uh, that we're not taking away the need to evangelize. Right. And at the same time, we believe that the church is the, the one that was founded by the Lord with the sacramental system, the authority, the guarantee of sacred scripture, and so on. But nonetheless, that's the ecumenical yeah. moment but then we go, precisely, we go into the next right. step, because this is where, <laughs> in, a, in a certain sense, it's almost uh, uh, laughable. The rich young man, who, who, by the way, although it doesn't say it in this, uh, this particular version of this uh, story, it says that he ran up and knelt down before mm-hmm. our Lord, which must have been somewhat comical for these fishermen, apostles, to see this young aristocrat for whom the Lord had conceived a love, kneeling down and recognizing that Jesus was a great figure. 
and also there was something in him that was he was not satisfied with simply being a good man or a good boy we could almost say because he did he, he says i have kept all of these commandments which is a pretty strong and beautiful statement yeah. he was a clean man he lived the law he lived a moral life and temperance and areas of purity and so on and our lord did not uh, of course could have said no that's not the case he, he recognized this man was special mm-hmm. he had something that our lord perhaps was inviting him as we'll see as he did in fact in a moment to be one of his closest friends his closest apostles yeah, he says this, if you wish to be perfect. Talk about that because, again, in the bigger context of Matthew, it's in Matthew where we find that statement from the Sermon on the Mount, so be perfect just as your heavenly Father is yes. perfect, which follows after a number of reflections by Jesus on a deeper following of the Ten Commandments, showing that these are not just the external application of the Ten Commandments, but what's going on inside of our heart. And so... Yeah. He's there referring to this idea that perfection is something that's deeper than the external expression. Yes. You see, this is the invitation that our Lord is making to the rich young man. He's also making to each one of us every time we read this, this scripture. And this is why John Paul the Great was so big on this uh, passage for a variety of reasons. But this particularly, the universal call to holiness, that's not enough for a Christian and for a, a, a Christian who's been blessed with the fullness of the faith, which is our Catholic faith, simply to live the commandments when he's called to something better. You know, today we're celebrating St. Padre Pio's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, his feast day, um, not that we're going to be a Franciscan, but that each one of us, uh, of the baptized, and of the not particularly 98.5% of the Catholic Church who are not priest or religious, all of us are called to take the next step, uh, to, to grow in intimacy, with, uh, to be disciples, to be apostolic in following Jesus Christ right where we are. I think that's the, the main reason why um, he used this passage over and over and over again, that no one is exempt from the call to holiness. Uh, a, a great um, Catholic spiritual writer that I admittedly uh, I mentioned a lot on my programs, Father Gary Lagrange. Yes, um, who was the d- doctoral director of Caro Votiwa's uh, the- uh, <laughs> uh, philosophy in um, doctorate in Rome. So had a great influence on, yes. uh, and then we see the connectivity there mm-hmm. um, in his uh, very simple little book, but which I think is superb on the three ways of the of the uh, of the spiritual life. He talks about the multiple conversions that we should go through. Uh, Our life should be a continual conversion, but it goes through awakenings, which is exactly what's happening in this passage, because this man who has been a faithful Jew, has done the life of a Jew, has been faithful, and even Jesus recognizes that what he's saying, but he's been drawn to Jesus. Something is happening to him, a new awakening. And Father Garagou Lagrange says, in that book, though, that it's a sin that the majority of Christians do not progress beyond the first conversion. And the first conversion could be seen as baptism. Yes. And that's part of the problem, is that we may do all the stuff, but we do not progress. And he also said in that book, which I've mentioned a bazillion times in this program, the comment that in the ways of, the spiritual, in the ways of God, he who does not progress loses ground. 
And so the necessity of moving ahead, as this man in this story has been beckoned to by grace and the Holy Spirit to come to Jesus. I mean, that's, that, that's what we read between the lines. This man is just not on his own, but he's been, been beckoned forward by grace itself. Now, Father, what do you do for everybody with, well, let's, tell you what, let's take a break, and then when we come back, I'm going to ask you to deal with how we, in a normative way, apply the advice of Jesus here. Go, yes. sell, give, and follow. And we'll do that when we come back from a break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host. I'm joined tonight by Father C. John McCluskey, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grody's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host. I'm joined this evening by Father C. John McCluskey. And before we move on, I do want to remind you that tomorrow on Life on the Rock with Doug Barry and Father Mark They'll welcome to the Rock House Rebecca Hare and Natalie Brown of the Susan B. Anthony List to discuss pro-life women in politics. That's tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Life on the Rock on EWTN. Uh, Father McCluskey, welcome back. All right, what do we do? Because I remember this passage, and it struck me. Go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Um, um, wow, what, what is that requiring of us? I know St. Francis took that a certain way, as did St. Dominic. What about us? We have to take it in a certain way also. <laughs> that is, God has a plan for each one of us, and that plan is holiness. But he also has uh, a particular plan for given our circumstances, married or single, old or young, of this intelligence or that intelligence, this physical ability, this education, and so on. So first of all, we are called uh, to make that commitment to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. And that, in one way, the way our Lord puts it here, is that if we want to be perfect, which we should all want to be, we have to sell what we have and give to the poor. Now, in one sense, that does bring a a St. Francis or... Um, any of the many of the great right. saints read this passage, including the hermits of the early Christianity, and did exactly that, and just went out and did it. However, it's quite clear that our Lord addressed everybody in his own life in the Holy Land, and then sent Paul and the other apostles out to evangelize. And he did not ask all of them to literally give all their money and give it to the poor, but it means above all that we are called to be detached from the things of this world. Or as Jesus himself said, to be in the world, but not of the, of the world. And I think that's the key point here. So that is possible for all of us, not to worship 
mammon. We have to worship God and not mammon. I think that's the, uh, the, the main thing there. And look for our treasure in heaven that we are doing uh, without getting overly technical in terms of merit and grace and so on. We're, we're, our investment of our life is a life to give glory to God, to do good to souls, and to prepare ourselves for entrance into heaven. That our priority in our life while being in the world is to bring the whole world to Christ, to make this world to the extent that it can be his kingdom on earth. And we find that in the church. So each one of us has to take a look at that passage and say, how can I give, give myself completely, make heaven my goal, and follow Jesus in his words, in his teachings, and in, in his holy church. I think that's what this, the, the passage is saying to each How one it of applies them. to us. What I find interesting also about this passage is there's at least one other passage, and maybe others, of course, where it, it, Jesus gives advice that almost basically says, you know, here's this man coming forward. He's coming to Jesus. He's surrendering to Christ. He's moving forward. But then... What Jesus is saying that well, before you move forward, you've got to stop and pause and go do something else first. And what reminded me of is that passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, um, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift at the altar, then go first and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to the court Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and that goes on and on. So in other words, it's, it's as if before I'm coming to worship, I'm getting ready to lay the gift at the altar, and, oh, wait, there's something else I need to do first. And that kind of reminds me of this passage in that, again, applied in general to the things that distract us from God. Before we can move ahead in giving ourselves completely to Christ, we've got to deal with the false gods um, they need to be purged because if we bring them with us, they will always plague us no matter how much we try to follow Jesus. Yes, for us as, as Christians, as serious Catholics, we have to be men of prayer. We have to be men of detachment, which means self-denial. We have to be men and women who live the virtues to the best of our ability. And also, and you know, this phrase which you've heard a thousand times from John Paul II, that we have to be capable of self-gift, of mm -hmm. giving ourselves to others. In, in that we find Christ, and that we find ourselves. So every one of us is called to completely dedicate ourselves to Christ through his church. And we have to use the means with the sacrament, the sacraments, the meditation on scriptures we're doing now, uh, the teachings of the church, the example of the saints, we're so, it's, we, we were so rich in, in many different ways. And then also, I would say, and it's something that I'm involved in quite a bit myself, is, is the area of spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. In this case, the rich young man's spiritual director was the, the Messiah, the Lord himself. <laughs> we're not going to be that, uh, normally get that, uh, that clear a picture. So as you mentioned, we, it's not that we're going to enter into seminary or to a monastery or we're going to leave our wife or our husband and go out into the desert we have to get that advice from that person or those persons or that institution the church which can help us on as you put it you know your the title of your 
your group the journey home yeah. is not the journey home is not simply to the faith which hopefully it is for so many of your listeners or has been and as, as i know but the journey ho- the real home is heaven yeah. right and god has a particular plan for each one of us and we have to discern that with the help of others yeah his order of of things uh to go sell what you have give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. I mean, the order of that is really worth all of us reflecting on when we look at the things that we hold so important in our lives. Uh, you know, the, the goal, again, it's, it's making an effort. It's breaking from the norm. It's breaking away from the flow of our life because it's in the flow of our life, wouldn't you say, Father, that we, we build ruts, no question about it. And I would say, and I oftentimes preach on this and in retreats, this particular passage, as you know, as you know, it is one of my favorites yep, among others, yep. is that, you know, this man probably would have had to go home and tell his father that uh, he wasn't interested in the inheritance <laughs> that he was, he was bound <laughs> to get. Or perhaps he was engaged to, um, you know, Miss Tel Aviv, uh, the year uh, 30 A.D., <laughs> and he had a beautiful Jewish girl who was, with whom he's looking forward to having a family. And in this particular case, our Lord is saying, no, you've got to leave all that because what you have in front of you is greater than anything you have there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, what happens, and this is, I think, this is, to my mind, one of the truly sad, tragic moments yes. in, in all of Scripture is, is the young man heard the saying, he went away sad, for he had great possessions. And, you know, in, in the other passage, which describes this as a very dis- a beautiful uh, expression, it says, his face fell. Mm-hmm. And so, you, at least to me, I see him, you know, eager, clean, pure, handsome, maybe an athlete, good manners, sincere, clean, and he's he's looking at the Messiah, the Lord, and said, "Boy, this is this is this is it." And then when our Lord makes the demand, he doesn't have it in him, and his face yeah. fell. And it's in, in Latin, it's at abit triste, and he went away sad. What a what a tragic yeah. uh, thing it is to say no to God. Now let me uh, throw a spin in here, Father. I'd love to have your thoughts on this because. Um, from my experience in my work with the Coming Home Network International, I've, I've seen a ray of light in that passage. In the moment of, of verse 22, it's sad. Just everything you said. You know, when the young man heard this statement, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, what that passage does not say is what happened tomorrow or a year later nor does it give the reasons or the motives other than he had these possessions. The reason this passage makes, hits me, my work at the Coming Home Network International for the last, boy, 16 years, the reason we exist is, of all things, to help Protestant ministers come home to the Catholic Church. And we have never gone out to try and convert anyone. Of course. They have to come to us. Right. And they're discovering the beauty of it, and, and for a great variety of reasons, maybe reading a book like yours, on the good news, bad news, and mm. talks about conversion. But often what happens at some point, it hits them that conversion to the Catholic Church is going to require the same exact yeah. sacrifice that Jesus is talking about here. And often they go through what we call a no-man's-land phase when they're convicted to become Catholic and they recognize that their Protestant sacraments are invalid, they need to come home, but it's going to mean their job, 
their vocation, the support of their family, their friends, yes. maybe their marriage. Yes. And so they do at first pause in sadness. And that's why I, I always want to see there may be hope for this guy. We don't know what he did in a month or in a year or two years. In fact, I heard a tradition that this was St. Barnabas. Could be. That's an interesting idea. Could, Barnabas certainly showed a lot of the qualities of the, the, the way uh, this young man is described. And then, of course, becoming the great disciple and follower of St. Paul on his apostolic journeys. But, I mean, from your own experience, I mean, you've been involved in the, uh, the witness to men and women who converted the church. I mean, uh, Robert Novak, God yes. bless his, rest his soul. Um, but they would face this moment, wouldn't they? Oh, yes. I, I, and thank you for pointing that out, Marcus. Each one of them. Um, and particularly in some of the conversions I've been involved with, particularly the Jewish conversions, mm-hmm. although I've also had ministers, Lutheran, Methodists, uh, right. including those who were, re- who were brought up Catholic and became ministers. And you've dealt with dozens and hundreds with these. Yes, yeah. it is that moment, and, it, and it's a particular grace to say, I am willing to sacrifice literally everything, my livelihood, my good reputation, relatives, um, yeah. Yes, it's, it, this is why it's so powerful. At the same time, and you know, when I preach on this particular passage, there also can be people who are not up for it, mm-hmm. and, and you don't yep. hear back from them. Yep. But that does not mean necessarily that they're lost. It could be they did not have the grace of the moment. It could be that at the end of their lives they will take that step. You know, we don't, we don't know exactly what, which is the, except for the canonized saints, the fate of anybody. So it's possible even that this rich young man, after all this, maybe 10 years later, married with children, he became one of the first Christians. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't know. And, and, uh, and I know you weren't saying this, but there's this, this passage in no way implies that Jesus gave up on this man. That's correct. That's right. He never gives up on any of us. Right. Is he, he died for each one of us individually, not as, not as a human race. <laughs> So you're right, that's a beautiful thing. The, uh, the Hound of Heaven is the, that famous poem by the English uh, poet. Is you know the the Lord is he he, he wants his the, the work of salvation that he worked through the cross to be applicable. And he gives us every opportunity to the last breath to bring us home. That's right. I I teach a course at Franciscan on uh, the fundamentals of Catholicism, and one of the first things, the first points that I and I teach it all about from the perspective of conversion. Yes. I mean, these points of Catholicism are not just pieces of data we memorize. They have to be involved with a converted heart. And so, but the first thing I deal with in fundamentals is that we as Catholics believe in principle that God desires everyone to be saved. That in practice, some will look awful difficult to reach. But from Catholics, we take Scripture very literally. God desires, and that's why we're called to, to reach out. That's why Jesus did not give up on this man. But the only reason we don't see the rest of the story is because all of a sudden in verse 23, this man walks away, he's sad, but, but he, Jesus reflects on that, uses it as a teachable moment for those that are there. Yes. Because those that are there may look down their noses at this guy because of his riches because of, or whatever, but Jesus uses that as a teachable moment. And in verse 23, he says, to his disciples, 
Uh, Amen, I say to you, it will be hard for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Which is a very strong statement, particularly given the ethos in which uh, of that of the Old Testament when blessing of, you know, with cattle or Mm -hmm. large family or a fertile fields regarded as a blessing, which it was to some extent as a blessing from God, but it was seen as God's favor. And here he's saying, well, not that you cannot go to heaven if you have great possessions, but if you're not generous with them, if you don't, if you don't, uh, or if you're not detached from them, then that, that, that will not bring you to heaven. And there'll be a burden. Would you say, Father, that probably in that statement, is it, do you see him actually making a bit of a judgment call on the way the Old Testament ended up. I mean, people yes. took all those teachings from all the Old Testament and lived their lives, but often misinterpreting the meaning of God's blessing and taking them as personal. Yes. Rather than doing exactly what he's been trying to, which he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Right, and that's why in the next passage, the disciples hearing this were exceedingly astonished. I mean, it's very <laughs> strong to say that, you know, they What's going on here? Who can be saved? In other words, the rich people who go to the temple, you know, the famous uh, yeah. Pharisee and the publican, and so on. You know, the uh, well, if they can't be saved, then who can be saved? You know, it's uh, it's really he's really taking this is every every moment in a certain sense is a teaching moment for Jesus. But mm-hmm. this is a big one for his. Uh, he we find him again and again shocking his uh, apostles and followers with very strong language in one area or other, which you would in some cases would, you know, send them away. And perhaps Judas was, uh, certainly Judas was there listening to this and per, as a treasurer of the, uh, of the apostles holding the purse. Of course, maybe the problem was that Judas wasn't there this time. He didn't get the message. <laughs> that also could be. Give, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, he might have been looking at that rich young man saying, get this guy in here because boy, we'll be able to deliver a lot better than we are now on the road. It just drove away a great benefactor. You yeah. know, Jesus, what are you doing? Yes. You know, but this also cracks me up, as we mentioned earlier in the program, that, uh, uh, you, you know, you, passages can be interpreted and twisted and made this, you know, how do you fit this passage in, Father McCluskey, with the modern health and wealth gospel folk? Oh, I, I don't want to even go into it. It's, I, <laughs> I, I have... One of the graces I have is I don't watch television, so I probably miss 99% of that since I don't. You're blessed then. Yeah, I don't. And, but I hear about it, and it's just the whole idea of preaching the gospel of Christ is one that leads to riches. <laughs> it's comical, but it's, at the same time, it's sad that there are, who knows, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who try, look, look to see our Lord as, as a, you know, a rich banker who can ensure their their portfolio of stocks or whatever. And again, they must have ignored this passage, worked their way around it, left it up on the shelf, or, or oh, figured out a way of interpreting it to make it f- say what they wanted to say. Well, you know, there's a famous anecdote uh, of this gospel being preached uh, in a Fifth Avenue church, I think, in the 1920s, during the, the Roaring Twenties, and, and, you know, some very rich banker getting up in the middle of the sermon and yelling at the at the preacher <laughs> saying, this is ridiculous, you know, and right. walking out. And, you, know, you know, it was a report in the newspapers. Because it was just, how, how, how could J.P. Morgan or, you know, or whoever you wanted to, 
those great Plutarchs or John D. Rockefeller, how could it be possible that they're blessed? You know, this is a blessing to have all that wealth. That's what we want to be. And it's God who's given it to us because we are members of the elect. Yeah. I mean, you're a former Calvinist, you know, and that's one yeah. of the signs. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that famous other parable of the talents. Yes. You have three guys, and one's given five, one's mm. given two, one's given one, or one's given ten and five and one. And, uh, you know, yeah. the, the point is that as they judge themselves for the riches they were given by grace, mm-hmm. they aren't to say he's better than me because he got 10 or he's two mm. or I'm not as good because I only got one. Mm. When we stand before God, we are only accountable yes. and responsible for what we have done with what we've been given. Exactly. And that should, should be very comforting to each one of us, not using it as an excuse. And also that God, with the talents he's given to us, he will also give us the graces to... Yeah do whatever it is that's in his plan for us. And those that have been given much, much is required. And so in a sense, it's understandable that for those who have been given much and who have many investments and many things and many heartaches and many responsibilities and many taxes, and it goes on and on and on, it's it, it isn't it's not something that can be just given up overnight, even if they wanted to. Uh, because people are responsible, uh, sometimes companies, and you know, it's, oh, of course, we we live in this this web of interconnectivity. How yes. difficult it is! Uh, but we can always point the finger and say, "See, I can't do it because of that." No, 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 no. no. We have to give everything that we can, given our circumstances. Yep. You know, we have we have areas of responsibility in terms of first of all our wife and children if that if you that's your particular call which is a great majority and then you know your relatives and then then perhaps the people who are in your parish or your church but we're all the, the it's it's gift is the key and we we don't hold back things for ourselves this world ends and god will judge us on the, the our talents and how we've used them and he wants us to find us there should be uh, I sometimes say this in, in preaching, but you know, if we, the the the, the in, a, in a monetary sense, the the less there is in our bank account when we pass into eternal life, the better off we are. <laughs> well, let's take one more break. When we come back, I'd like to pick up on, as we draw the program to a close, uh, just the positive, both the warning as well as the positive that comes in verse 26. Yes. Uh, for human beings, this is impossible, but for God, all things. Are possible. We'll take that when we come back. Yes. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined by Father C. John McCluskey, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International, or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at one 800 664 Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi. I'm joined 
this evening by Father C. John McCluskey. This, uh, this very important passage, uh, Matthew 19:26. Jesus looked at them and said, for, for man this is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Talk about that, Father. That it is possible for us to live as God wants us to do, a healthy uh, life, unless he chooses to give us in a particular way, uh, let us embrace the crosses, which are also very good for us. But to do that, it's, it, it, it's very, it's impossible to do without God's grace, which, as you know, in the way we live through our life of prayer, our living in God's presence, and seeing all our relationships, family, work, leisure, and so on, that exist for one purpose, which is the glory of God, and for the salvation of souls. It's something we haven't brought up as such, but um, during commenting on this passage is not direct, but obviously a very important part of us being in the world and being detached. Why are we detached? So that we can give a Christian example to those men and women who surround us, and so we can speak to them with conviction and example about the beauty of following Christ in the world. So it is possible with God. And, of course, we have the example of you know, thousands of saints, yep. both canonized or not, who have lived this, including kings, including yeah. saints such Saint as St. Thomas More and, yep. and many others that were men of great stature, of, of even of wealth to some extent. And they managed to give away without, but without losing their standing in terms of the great service they were giving to both to the kingdom and to the church. Yeah, this passage, uh, in my mind, truly uh, emphasizes why um, we need the church to make sure we interpret it correctly. Because yes. from my background as a Reformed Calvinist, I took this passage literally true, saying that um, to me, this emphasized the depravity of man. For human beings, for men, this is impossible. Mm-hmm. But for God, all things are possible. And, and pushed it to the nth degree, which was where Luther was going with the depravity of the will, and yes. John Calvin took it farther. And I remember somebody telling me a, an anecdote about attending a lecture by a Jewish rabbi in, uh, I think it was in Boston or New Washington, but uh, the, the rabbi said, that one of the main differences between Judaism and Christianity is that as Jews, we believe in a God that doesn't demand of things that we can't do, or Christians believe in a God that, that demands of them things they can't do. Mm-hmm. And again, that was him responding to the way many misunderstand Scripture. Yes. Because just as you were describing, the importance of grace. Yes, that's that lifts us up, and it's... And it's and it comes out in, in jet streams, so to speak, and yeah. constantly renewed in the Eucharist and through the sacraments throughout our entire life. It's uh, a graced life, and we, we know that, in a certain sense, grace is God's is friendship with us. He holds us up. He helps us along. And it could also during the ups and downs. And uh, that's, that's our faith, is it not? I mean, uh, the, yeah. the, ground, uh, the, the ground of hope is our faith. Which is exactly the reason that Catholics are deeply committed to mission work. Yes. And not just to those that have never heard, but even to our separated brethren, because we recognize that apart from the graces of the sacraments, there's a certain extent in which we are trying to do it on our own. Yes. Well, and, and, you know, it's, and this is particularly important in our own culture and our own society, which is facing so many difficulties today. Yeah. Yeah. 
because precisely that 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 idea of the self-made man, the the, uh, the rugged individualism, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is very Protestant in some ways, yep. is that that's not a, we 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 talk about uh, subsi- we talk about fraternity, we talk about so, uh, solidarity, the praise that, that we we're part of a church, we're part of a, a, a race saved by Christ, and therefore we're always we're gift. We're constantly looking to give ourselves, and with complete confidence that God will take care of us as our loving Father. Well, I have good friends that were uh, Protestant missionaries down in Central America who mm-hmm. became Catholics, and one of the reasons, besides the fact that they, while they were missionaries, were seeing all these other Christian churches telling all kinds of different things to these people, but one of the main things is that they were not just delivering the gospel to the poor of Central America. They were bringing Americanism. Yes. And, and so these poor people were feeling that they had not been blessed because they were not experiencing the blessings of America. Oh. And, and it's tragic because the poor, certainly they need for us to help them with food and clothing and shelter and, and all of that. But the goal, which we see in America today in the goals of America— are to make everyone in the third world nations. They're not. They haven't arrived yet, and they'll until they're at our level. Well, I've written on this. Actually, it's on my website. There's an article that I write about this whole question of I call it "Living La Vida Rica" from a from a famous song, "Living <laughs> the Rich Life," and talking about the importance of detachment and the reason that and giving and the reason I mentioned that is that I spent a lot of time in Latin America, mm-hmm. and I was struck at how happy the people are there. And then when you come back to the United States to see how glum many yep. Americans are. Yep. And theoretically, we should be the happiest and most cheerful and joyful of people if wealth makes you happy. But the reality is it weighs down on you and it consumes you. Well, Father McCluskey, thank you so much. Can we have a quick blessing for us as we close the program? Certainly. We'll call down as as we approach the end of our day to give thanks to God for the wonderful things that have happened in our following uh, Christ and in, 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 in His church. We also ask, uh, and I ask our Lord in a special way to bless all our listeners and Marcus Grodi and wonderful work he's doing for Omnis Unum Sint that all may be one in His holy church. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father McCluskey, for all your work also, your kind words. I thank all of you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. I hope this program has been an encouragement to you. Please check with deepinscripture.com to find out more of what we're doing or chnetwork.org for the Coming Home Network. And be sure to support and to watch EWTN and all that they do. God bless you. Look forward to being with you again next week.